inspiring interviews with today's top landlords. This is the Rental Income Podcast. And now, Dan Lane. My guest on the podcast today has a really inspiring story. He had a great job in corporate America, and he started buying rentals on the side. Within a few years, he had built up enough monthly rental income that he was able to quit his job. And today he supports himself off the rental income. So I want to get into his strategy and figure out exactly how he did this. So let's take a really quick break. We'll thank our sponsors. We'll come right back and we'll meet Steve Lovett from Detroit. The first step in buying a rental property is to get pre-qualified. And I would suggest you work with a lender that specializes in working with investors because the last thing you want to have happen is to get to closing and find out the money's not there and you can't close. The lender that I recommend is Chaley Ridge from Ridge Lending Group. She's a nationwide lender and she'll pre-qualify you for free if you mention Rental Income Podcast. Find out more today. Contact Chaley at RidgeLendingGroup.com. That's R-I-D-G-E lendinggroup.com. NMLS 42056. Having to evict a tenant is painful. The best way to protect yourself from evictions is to screen tenants, and the best way that I know of to screen tenants is TransUnion Smart Move. It's a really valuable online screening tool delivering credit, eviction, and background reports in minutes, and their proprietary tenant credit check predicts evictions 15% better than generic credit scores. See why over 4 million landlords have used SmartMove to make better leasing decisions. Use code RENTAL25 at checkout to save 25% at TenantScreening.com. That's code RENTAL25 at TenantScreening.com. Are you looking for actionable steps to create wealth and passive income? As a top-ranked business and investing podcast with over 800 five-star reviews, The Passive Real Estate Investing Show is packed with strategies and insight for putting money in your pocket. Marco Santarelli from Narada Real Estate Investments brings his expertise and knowledge on both passive and turnkey real estate investing, and he provides listeners with helpful tools and tips to create the wealth you've always wanted. Head over to iTunes or Google Play today and subscribe to Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast, or visit PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. That's PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Well, Steve, tell me uh, about your portfolio and your life today, and then we'll kind of take a step back and and figure out how you got there. Okay, sure. Yeah, so currently um, I have a portfolio of uh, 15 properties. Uh, We operate in the Metro Detroit region. And uh, in addition to uh, that portfolio of rental homes, um, I do about eight to 10 flips per year. And then one of the newest things that we're pretty excited about, uh, myself and a business partner, is that we also are actively involved in short-term rental properties through Airbnb. And as of today, uh, we have seven listings around the area. Now, what you've done is really pretty incredible. So you had a job working for a big company, working in corporate America, and then you decided that you wanted to try to leave your corporate job and, and live off rental income. How did you do that? I mean, that, that just sounds um, kind of out of the ordinary from what a, a lot of people would, um, would, would do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I had a, had a great job uh, that I enjoyed, but at the same time, I started 
Uh, I knew that I wanted to have rental income. I knew I wanted to have that passive income for kind of one day down the road. Uh, at the time, I don't think I realized how quickly it was possible to make the corporate job optional. Um, but I started, uh, like a lot of folks, you know, bought my first rental property actually around the corner from where I lived at the time. And, uh, uh, that was in 2005 and then, uh, bought a couple more properties. The third one being kind of as the market started to fall in like Oh seven, uh, 08 timeframe. And, um, kind of the snowball effect of, uh, in a positive way, uh, most people, when they talk about the crash, it's, you know, it's negative, but, uh, I was able to have, uh, enough income coming in from the rental properties that over time combination of, of, of that cash balance increasing and, uh, prices falling, I was able to pick up properties, you know, at a better and better discount and uh, eventually was able to start just buying them in cash. Um, and I was able to grow the portfolio, uh, faster than I thought. And being a cash buyer, the cash flow uh, was, was very, very positive. So all those factors kind of together allowed me to get to the point, uh, when I was uh, about 39, where I kind of retired and, uh, I'm able to do real estate full time now. So from the time you bought your first rental until you retired from your job, how many years had gone by? Uh, that was probably about, um, 10, 12 years okay. or so. Okay. Yep. So, and you had 15 properties that, that you bought over those, those 10 or 12 years? Uh, probably about 11 or 12 at okay. that point in time. Yes. So it, it doesn't sound like you were really going crazy picking up properties, you know, three houses a month or anything. Were, were you just basically buying a house a year? Yeah, I was kind of, that was sort of my goal. Uh, house a year, uh, I call it my get rich slow scheme. Um, and I was able to basically pick up at that rate. But what kind of accelerated my growth was the cash flow off of them because I didn't have any mortgage balances, mm -hmm. uh, except for the first couple that I bought. So uh, I was able to uh, replace a good chunk of the income that I had coming in through my day-to-day -day job. Uh, and then I figured if I flipped a couple homes a year that I'd be in a little more comfortable situation. So when I left the uh, nine to five, that's when I started adding uh, flips into the mix to kind of make up for, uh, you know, that balance there. Okay. So the flips were generating cash and then you're using that cash to buy more rentals. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And I still use that model to this day. So I, but I'm still, Again, not trying to grow super fast. I'm I'm very conservative in my approach. I'm not using leverage. Uh, I'm you know a cash buyer still. Um, but uh, my kind of theory on it is uh, again a get rich slow scheme where mm -hmm. I uh, don't have I don't want to have fifty homes. I'd rather have twenty five homes with the same cash flow. I don't really right. want to deal with fifty tenants, so to speak, uh, to just make you know a couple hundred dollars a month per property. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that's, and, uh, I know it's counter to a lot of, uh, uh, investors outlooks. Uh, you know, a lot of people say lever, lever, uh, and, you know, get as many properties as, as possible, but, uh, that's just not, you know, the, the, the type of business that, right. uh, the, that I, that I want to grow. So, right. And, you know, that's the great thing with real estate and with, with rental properties. There's no one way you have to do it. 
and saving money and not using leverage is definitely a lot less risky and it's working for you. I mean, you, you've won. I mean, you, you've left your job and and w- what you're doing is working for you. So I, I think that's great. Um, I love it. Yeah, thank you. Now, tell me about when you first got started. So you said you used leverage at first for the first couple of houses. So like, like how did that change? Like how did you go from using leverage at first to using cash? Like were the rentals generating a bunch of cash or was this cash you were saving from your job and your flips? It was a combination. At the time uh, when I switched over to cash, I was uh, I was uh, not flipping at all. So the only two income streams I had were uh, my my job as well as the you know three rentals that I had at the time. Okay. So um, it was it was a combination of cash flow for, from the rentals as well as uh, market prices just really really falling. I mean, I went from the first rental property that I bought. Uh, was about $140,000 at the time to the third one that I bought uh, in 09 was uh, just under $30,000 for uh, a single family home. So I really, uh, you know, took advantage of that swing of of prices to, uh, you know, to just uh, be able to be a cash buyer. Now, did the market just drop that much or was that where you buying in different types of neighborhoods? It was a combination. So yes, they were different neighborhoods, uh, but also the market did fall quite a bit. And, you know, I got to hand it to you for not not being freaked out. You know, a a lot of times it's easy to sit here in 2019 and say, oh, you know, if the market drops like crazy, I'm going to be a buyer and buy everything I can. But when that's happening, I mean, having lived through the last crash, I mean, that's scary when prices are going down every month. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because looking back, it seems like a no brainer, right? Yeah. You know, houses were a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars, and you can pick them up for you know a third of that or even a quarter of that, and some of mine. Uh, so looking back, it's it's uh, you know why wouldn't everybody do that? Right. But at that time, when things were falling like they were, and there was no credit, and the auto industries were, which is huge in our area, of course, you know, were sliding into into bankruptcy. And everything that was happening and you drive down the streets and it's like every fourth house had a for sale sign. Uh, We just didn't see it the way we see it now. And it was it was a bit of a risky move, certainly to do that. And people around me were they could not believe I was buying property. They they thought I was crazy. And I said, you know what? You know, I'm either. Uh, making a really smart decision or a really dumb decision, we'll tell in about five or ten. Right. Years. Yeah, um, and it worked and, out. And, I mean, that was, and I, I kind of kept in mind during this kind of scary time that, uh, you know, regardless of of uh, economic conditions, of peace or war, whatever's going on in the world, people still prefer always to live indoors. So mm-hmm. I kind of stuck <laughs> with that mentality. Yeah. And uh, and just kept buying. Now, talk to me about the different neighborhoods. So the property that you, you bought, the, your first property for 140 versus your third property for 30 grand, like, like what kind of, like describe the properties and the neighborhoods. Yeah. So the, the first property uh, was around the corner from where I live currently and lived at the time. Uh, it's in a suburb here called Royal Oak, which I would consider like an A, A minus area. Uh, in terms of desirability, it's uh, kind of one of the cooler suburbs of Metro Detroit. It's kind of how Royal Oak is considered. 
And uh, it was a three-bedroom, one-bath bungalow on a basement with a two-car garage. It was in pretty nice shape when I bought it. I just had to do very minor cosmetic fix-ups, and it was good to go for a rental. Okay. Uh, now, one of the things I learned about that neighborhood, because I, I uh, also, you know, again, live there as well, is that uh, while I had no problem filling the place, most of my tenants were like young professional folks, college graduates, first job type of situation. And uh, they would stay for a year to two years at the most, but they were always renting for a year so they could save and buy a house. Right. So I had a lot of turnover there. Um, and then I started moving into kind of B neighborhoods. So that other house that we talked about is in a, um, an area called Madison Heights, right around the corner from Royal Oak. And uh, a little more blue collar, but still, you know, very nice homes, nicely kept up, everything like that. And I really kind of fell in love with that style of neighborhood a bit more um, because folks were were not renting just for that first year to buy. They were more of a longer term Mm -hmm. renter. And I saw a lot less turnover and found it to be more profitable. And so those tenants, are, are they staying a lot longer Absolutely. Yeah. I would say the average in that neighborhood is probably more like three to maybe four years per tenant. Um, So that's kind of a B neighborhood. And then now I'm buying in kind of a B minus to C neighborhood. So I'm kind of going down a little bit more again currently. And uh, those tenants stay even longer. So I'm actually kind of enjoying that that's sort of my sweet spot now. So I have about half in the in the B neighborhood and half in kind of the C uh, neighborhood. And I continue to buy in the C neighborhood currently because I can still buy those at great prices. Is the C neighborhood, is it more challenging to manage and to deal with those tenants compared to the B properties? You know, I have not found it to be. I went into it actually expecting that. Uh, and I was ready for that. Um, however, I have found that with the tenants that I have chosen, uh, they are not more challenging to manage at all, actually. And a lot of it is just tenant selection. That's, I manage all my own properties, and I see tenant selection as, as the number one item that affects my entire business. I mean, it, it affects uh, retention, so to speak. It, it, it affects profitability in many ways. So I'm very, very cautious when I select a tenant, and I, and I will – uh, my motto is I'd rather have an empty house than a bad tenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only need one for house. Right. Right. So I'll, I've been able to take my time even in those neighborhoods and find, uh, find great tenants. However, it hasn't necessarily taken longer to find uh, a good tenant. It's just, I'm just really selective with who I choose. Now talk me through the process of, of leaving your job. So you, you've built up some, some rental income you, you, it, things are pretty stable and you're feeling comfortable to leave your job. Did you quit as soon as you had a couple of months where your, your salary was the same as your rental income or like, what were you looking for to be able to quit? So, uh, it's kind of funny. I had a little bit, I had a little bit of a gap between, um, net income that I was bringing in after expenses and everything with the rentals and what I was making currently. So that's why I decided, well, I'll add some flips in to sort of make up for that and a bit more. Uh, at the same time, in addition to like my 401k and, and all of that, uh, an IRA and everything, um, 
I had some just cash that was sitting around. I had a couple, I had a little over a hundred thousand dollars just sitting in the bank. So when I was speaking with my financial advisor, he said, okay, well, I see what you're trying to do. It's great that you have this cash. So you'll want to hold on to this. And, uh, you know, that will weather you through, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then of course, when I finally decided to do it, um, I went exactly against his advice and I took the cash and I bought two more houses. <laughs> <laughs> so go figure. Now, yeah. now he looked, you know, he, now he looks at me like, wow, you're actually, I have a lot of real estate clients and you're, you're like one of the few that makes this work. Yeah. Say, well, it's cause I didn't listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, um, I think a lot of investors would have a tough time sitting on cash. I know I struggle with that all the time. Whenever I have some cash, I always want to buy another property. It's really hard for me to to let it pile up. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. My my father coined the term. Uh, I believe he did. Uh, we call it lazy money, mm-hmm. uh, and I just that's how I see it. When I see cash sitting in a in a, in a bank account, it's just it's there. It's not working for you. It's not being productive. It's uh, being inefficient in terms of the interest, if any, that yep. it's producing compared to what it can do in the uh, in, in real estate. So, uh, even with our uh, in- investors, I, I, I joke about you know we'll take your money that's being lazy for you, and we will make it work. Yeah. We will make it work very hard, exactly. And, you know, earn you some great returns. So, absolutely. Now, a big thing that I, I feel like a lot of people don't think about, and it's a big expense that you have when you don't have a job is health insurance. I mean, working for a big company, you've got great health insurance, I'm sure. And now being self-employed, you've got to buy that on your own. Is that a huge cost? So it was interesting because it was right around the time uh, the exchanges started coming out shortly uh, around the time when I left. Actually, the exchanges were out at that point in time. So that was actually one of my fears going in uh, because I knew people who were like independent, you know, consultants, financial advisors, that type of thing, who were paying, you know, like four or five hundred dollars a month for health insurance. And and uh, that did kind of keep me uh, that was one of the things, one of the reasons I didn't leave, uh, you know, as early as I when I left when I did yeah. was uh, that challenge with insurance. But uh, luckily in, in Michigan and our exchanges that we had with the affordable care act, I was able to get very reasonable health insurance. And, uh, to this day, I, I actually credit that, uh, not to get into any type of political, sure. um, uh, slant here or anything like that, but in order, uh, it, having the ability to be able to buy the, uh, insurance at a reasonable rate on the exchange helped me to be able to take the step that I did. And I think it could, you know, as, as we work as a country to be able to have more affordable care, I think sometimes we don't realize how much of a barrier that is to people becoming entrepreneurs. Right. Now, what about budgeting for repairs? You know, if something comes up, you know, or maybe you have um, a bunch of properties go vacant and you have some big maintenance stuff come up at, at the same time, I guess, has that ever happened where you've had major expenses? I mean, we just talked about not keeping cash around, but you kind of need like a safety net. Like, how do you deal with that? Like, do you budget a certain amount every month that you're going to put aside for stuff? Um, I don't budget a certain amount, um, but I do keep a reserve of what I feel is, you know, an adequate amount for uh, if I did have an issue with vacancy or with, uh, you know, a few furnaces going at the same time or, you know, a roof on a house, that type of thing. 
Um, vacancy has never really been much of a cost for me. Um, however, I just know that, you know, with the number of properties that I have out there with, you know, just things that can happen day to day, I need to have some cash in reserve. So Mm -hmm. I try, I do try to stay lean in terms of, you know, just lazy money in the bank, but, uh, I don't go too lean. You know, I, I keep an adequate balance where, uh, you know, where I, I, I never want to have to not serve a tenant at the highest level because of some type of financial issue. I never right. want to be in a situation where I can't get something fixed. I feel that that's, I take that as a very uh, powerful responsibility, you know, that tenants entrust me with. I, I, I treat them as a client and I want to be able to serve them. And uh, I, I positioned it in a way where, you know, that is never an issue. Okay. Now, what about your the house that you live in, your your primary house? I know you you're a big um, part of your strategy is to not have a lot of debt. Did you also pay off the personal house that you live in? I didn't actually. That's about the only. Uh, I have two houses that I have mortgages on currently, and one okay. of them is the one that I live in. Uh, and uh, I'm just I have a a nice two point nine nine percent fifteen year loan that I. Uh, that I refinanced yeah, a few years great. ago into that. Um, cause, uh, one thing I'll say, it's kind of an aside, but whenever you refinance, you have to reduce the term. Otherwise you're always paying the top end of the interest curve. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I'm happy to have uh, a little bit of debt on my personal house that I live in so that I can buy uh, the others in cash. Now you want to continue to grow your portfolio from here, right? Like you're continuing to buy. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I purchased two um, rental properties this year. Uh, we're growing the Airbnb portfolio and the flips are just kind of like in and out all the time. We're okay. flipping about uh, eight to 10 homes per year. So would you say that you live on the rental income and then the Airbnb income and the flip money is money that you use to continue to buy properties? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the strategy is Airbnb and flip to generate cash, use the cash to buy the properties outright. Okay. And for the Airbnb, do you buy those properties with cash too, or are those properties, do they have loans on them? Um, so the first couple Airbnbs that we did are the first three units. Uh, we bought those with mortgages. Okay. And now what we're doing with Airbnbs is what we call master leasing where we are leveraging a property that someone else already owns. We master lease it. So we have very, very little uh, upfront starting costs and then list it as an Airbnb okay. property. So you're basically, you're, you don't own some of the Airbnbs. You rent those properties and then, and then you Airbnb the property. Exactly. Right. Okay. All our newer ones, that's how we've been doing them. And that's, okay. we, that's the, the method that we really like. And that's what we'll can we'll continue going forward with any awesome. new Airbnb properties is is renting them and then and then Airbnb them. And then the flips are they properties that could potentially be rental properties, or are you flipping in a a different type of neighborhood? We're flipping in a different neighborhood than the rentals. Okay, uh, tends to be more of like the A types of neighborhoods. We're looking for different things there. Uh, we're looking for really high price per square foot. Uh, we're looking for um, excellent school systems. We're looking for, uh, you know, kind of a more higher end uh, type of listing. We could rent them, but uh, it would, based on the value of the property, it just wouldn't really make a lot of sense. Right. We'd be a lot more efficient putting our, our money in other neighborhoods for rentals. 
Well, Steve, congratulations. I mean, this is really just such an inspiring story and really just incredible what, what you've accomplished. Um, now, tell me more. You mentioned that you are helping people get started with Airbnb. Uh, tell me what you're doing and how someone can reach out to you to find out more. Yeah, absolutely. So we are uh, we just developed an exciting new course called Masters of Airbnb. And uh, we, uh, my partner and I developed a six-week training course to help folks professionally operate Airbnbs. And there's uh, information on that at www.mastersofbnb.com. If you missed that or you want to look it up later on, I've got a link to Steve's course on my website. You can find it at rentalincomepodcast.com slash episode 224. I'd like to thank Chaley Ridge from Ridge Lending Group for making today's episode possible. If you're looking to buy a rental property, definitely reach out to Chaley, whether you're just getting started and want to buy your first place, or you've got a big portfolio and you're having trouble getting financing. Chaley specializes in helping investors buy rental properties, and she's got dozens of loan programs and can find something that'll work for you. If you mention Rental Income Podcast, she will waive all of the pre-qualification fees. You can find out more at RidgeLendingGroup.com. That's R-I-D-G-E, LendingGroup.com, NMLS 42056. I'd also like to thank Autoslash for sponsoring today's episode. The next time you need to rent a car, if you want to make sure you're getting the lowest rate possible, Go to autoslash.com. The way it works is autoslash searches the internet, finds every discount, every promo code, and it will deliver to you the lowest rate out there for your rental car. After you make your reservation, you can put it on the tracker and autoslash will continue to search every day. And when it finds you a better rate, it'll email you and you can cancel that first reservation with no penalty and rebook at the lower rate. Autoslash saves their average user 30% off the best rate that they can find on any other website. And the best part about it, it's totally free. No cost at all to use Autoslash. Check it out today. Go to autoslash.com. That's A-U-T-O-S-L-A-S-H, autoslash.com. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing to the podcast. I will be back with a new episode next Tuesday. My name is Dan Lane, and this has been the Rental Income Podcast. I've put a lot of time, effort, and money into building my rental portfolio. It's something I'm very proud of, something I want to protect, and something I want to keep in my family for a long time. That's why I put together an estate plan. With trust and will, you can create and manage your own custom estate plan, starting at just $199. Just go to trustandwill.com slash RIP and you'll get 10% off plus free document shipping. I thought about doing a will for a long time, but I thought it was going to be very complicated, confusing, and expensive, and I just kept putting it off. Luckily, I found trust and will, and the whole process could not have been easier. My wife and I sat down one Saturday morning over a cup of coffee we went to trustandwill.com. They walked us through a series of questions. And at the end, we got our own state-specific and customized will for our needs. Trust and Will has made estate planning easy and accessible for everybody. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will. 
Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash RIP. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash RIP. I didn't like the idea that if something were to happen to me, my family was going to struggle financially. I mean, they're still going to have to pay the mortgage payment, car loans, credit cards, and whatever other living expenses they have. So I got life insurance and it gives me a lot of peace of mind to know that they're not going to struggle. They're going to have some time to get back on their feet again. Policy Genius's technology makes it really easy to compare life insurance quotes from the top insurance companies in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. If you have life insurance through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it also might not follow you if you were to leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. One of the things that I love about Policy Genius is that their agents work for you, not for the insurance companies, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. I didn't like the idea that if something were to happen to me, my family was going to struggle financially. I mean, they're still going to have to pay the mortgage payment, car loans, credit cards, and whatever other living expenses they have. So I got life insurance, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind to know that they're not going to struggle. They're going to have some time to get back on their feet again. Policy Genius's technology makes it really easy to compare life insurance quotes from the top insurance companies in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. If you have life insurance through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it also might not follow you if you were to leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. One of the things that I love about Policy Genius is that their agents work for you, not for the insurance companies, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 